Well, good morning. It's good to be with you today. Just listening to your prayers and your service, I think this is a congregation that is already very aware of, of missions. But it's always good to be reminded of the things that are important to God. And I've been gripped lately by a, a little passage in the Old Testament that just brings out how much this has always been God's heart. Let's start by just reading it through from Isaiah 45, starting in verse 18. For this is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. I have not spoken in secret from somewhere in a land of darkness. I have not said to Jacob's descendants, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Gather together and come. Assemble, you fugitives from the nations. Ignorant are those who carry about idols of wood, who pray to gods that cannot save. Declare what is to be, present it. Let them take counsel together. Who foretold this long ago? Who declared it from the distant past? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none but me. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me, every knee will bow. By me, every tongue will swear. They will say of me, in the Lord alone are deliverance and strength. All who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. But all the descendants of Israel will find deliverance in the Lord and will make their boast in him. Let's look at that a bit more closely now. It starts with this declaration of God's uniqueness. This is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. This is God's uniqueness as the creator of all the world. Now, this world came into being because God decided that it should. Not something that Allah did, or Satan. Not some block of carved wood or stone, such as they often worshipped in uh, ancient times. Uh, whether you think there was a big bang or not, it didn't just happen, uh, if it happened at all. But God caused things to begin, however they began. No one else but our God made the world. That's the claim that we have as Christians. And notice that God determined there the purpose for this world. It was for us to inhabit it. And no one else determines the, the purpose of the whole of creation. No one else but our God rules it. He went to say, I have not spoken in secret from somewhere in a land of darkness. I have not said to Jacob's descendants, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. So in claiming that 
there is something unique about our message and our God. We're not saying that, that other religions are wrong always about everything. Just really disagree with what God has revealed um, in his word and through Christ. And he's revealed the important things clearly. It's not a difficult puzzle that only smart people can solve. He's plainly told us the truth about himself and our world and our needs. One of the ways that he shows us his uniqueness and demonstrates his, um, that he is the only God is, this, is his ability to foretell the future. And so here he sort of issues a, a challenge to gather together and come. Assemble, you fugitives from the nations. Ignorant of those who carry about idols of wood, who pray to gods that cannot save. And then this challenge to the idols. <laughs> Declare what is to be, present it. Let them take counsel together. All these other gods put together. See what they can do. Who foretold this long ago? Who declared it from the distant past? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no God apart from me, a righteous God and a savior. There is none but me. Other gods and historical legends and today uh, claim to, to judge men and to punish them, demand things from them. Uh, many of them do and demand wicked things. Um, but one God proclaims and demonstrates what is really righteous. One God has acted to rescue us from the world that we messed up and make us right. There's no other God like this, and indeed no other God at all. And here I think we find the heart of this passage and the heart of our God. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. And there I think you hear the, the heart of God. This was something like 700 years before he acted to make it possible for all the ends of the earth to turn to him. 700 years before he sent out people to, uh, to declare the gospel to all the ends of the earth. But even back then, this is the heart of God. This is always the heart of God. He wants uh, all people everywhere to turn to him and be saved. And that is the one way to be saved. This is his firm declaration. By myself I have sworn... And there's no higher name to swear by. No way of making it more definite than when God swears by himself. My mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow. By me every tongue will swear. They will say of me, in the Lord alone are deliverance and strength. All who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. But all the descendants of Israel will find their deliverance in the Lord and will make their boast in him. So he is really spelling out here that in this invitation for all the ends of the earth to turn to him and be saved, God longs for that because that's the only way that their salvation can happen. Uh, it's absolutely certain. He has, he has sworn an oath. Uh, we, will, we will turn to him or we will be ruined forever. Uh, every knee is going to bow. Yield to God gladly as his friends, or eventually you will have to yield as his enemy. We were made for God. We can't live apart from God. Um, 
C.S. Lewis makes the analogy of a, of a motor car that wants to run on something other than petrol. Uh, it just doesn't work. Well, there's a few other kinds of motor cars these days, but if you think of one that was made to run on petrol, that is the only thing it will run on. Um, and it doesn't matter what the motor car wants. In fact, making one way to be saved was, was very costly. This is sort of an embarrassment in the, in the modern world. You know, we're sort of constantly surrounded by pushes to be tolerant and accept everybody's different way and so forth. So I, I thought I would attempt a little parable to, to show what I think this is like. Imagine uh, a little boy whose father owns a great mine. And the little boy loves to play in his father's mine, but the entrance is quite a long way away from his home. And the little boy has been pleading for a long time that his father would make a new tunnel into the mine so that he could get into it right from his backyard. Well, uh, his father has chosen not to do this for rather good reasons, which we'll come to in a minute. Um, but the father has an enemy, uh, and the enemy catches the little boy in a strategic moment and persuades him that if he would set up a stick of dynamite in a certain place, uh, it would open up the tunnel that he wants into his backyard. Now, the little boy has been strictly warned that he should not uh, mess around with dynamite. Uh, but he does have access into this mine that the enemy doesn't have. And he really wants this tunnel. So one day, he sets off the stick of dynamite. Well, what the little boy didn't know is that uh, the the rock between the mine and the place where he lives uh, is uh, rather messed up and uh, has water flowing through it and is not a good place for making tunnels, let alone setting off dynamite. And the place where the enemy told him to set up this dynamite is, is strategically arranged so that it, um, it starts getting water into the mine and, and destroys the main entrance. Uh, but the little boy did managed to get to a, a place of temporary safety, uh, and his father finds out that he's there. So the father spends everything that he has. He hires special machinery, um, calls in extra workmen, and they manage to dig a very narrow tunnel down through the sound rock to the place where the little boy is trapped. And the father lowers a rope with a little harness on the end down to here, and he says, son, there wasn't time to make a big enough tunnel that someone could come down and, and pick you up, but, but all you have to do is put the harness on and we'll haul you up. So imagine now that the little boy turns around and says, but Dad, I don't want to go up that tunnel. I, I was trying to make a new tunnel into my, in, right into my backyard. Why, why didn't you finish that tunnel? <laughs> Let me do it my way. The father turns around and says, son, Trust me, it's not possible to make a tunnel that way. Uh, it's right through a, a vein of water. It would flood faster than we could, than we could dig it. Um, and that water is, is rising around you right now. Uh, it cost everything I have to make one way out of this mine. Uh, you have to trust me. You have to put the harness on and I will haul you out. That's what I think is 
a little bit like what God is saying when he says, turn to me, all you ends of the earth, and be saved. He's made one way that we can be saved. It cost him the life of his only son. Um, it, it drove a division that we can hardly even imagine into the Godhead itself. Uh, God the Father turned his back on God the Son and laid our sins on him. It's an almost unimaginable cost to make one way out. And it only works if we trust him to pull us out. So this is the desire of God. Even before there was a gospel, it's always God's heart. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And right from the beginning, this, uh, this desire of God for all the ends of the earth uh, included all the languages of the earth. It said of Jesus that he is worthy to take the scroll and open its seal because he was slain and with his blood he purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. So that means that from every language, which is my particular interest as a Bible translator, um, there, are, there are speakers of that language that Christ has already purchased from God, for God. And so naturally those people need to, to hear this, uh, this invitation and many have not heard yet. Uh, specifically, uh, Wycliffe has identified something like 7,000 languages in active use in the world today, and less than 3,000 of them have even one book of scripture translated into those languages. Some 1,800 languages that we know of, her work has not even started. Uh, 165 to 180 million people speak languages that no one has even begun to prepare to translate. So what's being done about this? Well, a lot of translation work is in progress today. Uh, over 2,200 languages have work in progress that we know about. This is something to rejoice about and praise God for. Uh, there is, uh, this is perhaps the first time in history that we could actually say that there are there are more languages where, where work is being done than languages that, where work still needs to start. Uh, God has brought together an amazing collection of organizations and, and people in many countries, uh, especially over the last 15 years or so, coming together in uh, an almost unprecedented unity for missions work uh, to get this job done. But it's not, an, it's not easy to translate the Word of God. Now, I thought I'd give you just one little example. This is from a language called Zaltal in Mexico, um, where they have a lot of different words for the concept of carrying something. So if you put a load across your shoulders, that's one word. Uh, if you hold out your hand and, and carry it like that, that's a completely different word. If it's in your pocket, or a bag, or under your arm, or balanced on your head, um, or held up in your arms. Uh, all, all these different ways of carrying something are, are different words in this language. There isn't just one word. Uh, so imagine for a minute that I go in there as a translator, or I try to program a computer to just do this automatically, and, and let's say that I 
sort of choose a simple example. So I, I carry something around in my hand, and I say, what am I doing? And they say, well, you're, you're nulling that object. And now imagine that I, I try to use that word in some of these verses. Well, they're going to think that in the palm of my hand is a rather laborious way to carry a, a large load. Um, but it could be done, I suppose. Uh, it's going to seem like a very messy way to carry blood. Uh, you know, it would be, it would be easier with, with a bowl or something like that, but that's a different word. Um, it's going to seem like a really strange way to carry a large wooden box around in the palm of my hand. And they will probably wonder how having rings on the side of the box is supposed to help me carry it in the palm of my hand. I can't even imagine what they will, will make of being told that a flood will, will carry off a house in the palm of its hand. Um, and it's likely to be quite puzzling to, if we tell them to take the word of God in the palm of your hand and carry it out. Uh, sort of like, well, but where to? And, and why shouldn't it be here in the, in the church? Uh, so it's important that we use the right word. Uh, and finding the right word can sometimes be quite a challenge. So what am I doing about this? Well, my part in all of this is to write computer programs, uh, supporting many of the tasks of, of Bible translation. Uh, the one that I spent the, the most time on since I, I went to, to Dallas in 1987 uh, is a program for building dictionaries and analyzing languages. A Pro program to help the translator with this task of getting to understand the language well enough so that they can pick the right word for carry and for whatever other uh, situations they need to, to use a word in. Um, but the thing that I've been doing for the last few years that I'm going to spend more time talking about today is, is literacy. So imagine for a minute that you, you can't read. And, and more or less, no one around you can read either. Uh, so for example, you can't read the label on your child's medication. Um, you can't read the legal documents that entitle you to, to keep your property. You can't read the receipts for your business transactions. You can't read a letter or a text from your best friend. And of course, you can't read the Bible, even if it's in your language. That affects a lot of people today. UNESCO estimates 758 million adults in the world today that can't read or write a simple sentence. And that can really be a matter of life and death sometimes. Um, one example of that is Marilyn Laszlo's experience with the Sepik Iwam people in Papua New Guinea. These people used to catch wild pigs, and uh, they, they weren't cooking them quite enough. And there's a small parasite that likes to live in, actually microscopic parasite that lives in pigs. And when it gets from them into people, it, it starts eating up their muscles from the inside. It's a condition called trichinosis. And as Marilyn was living with these people and, and studying their language, she contracted trichinosis and was eventually medevaced. And after a lot of investigations, because this is a very rare condition for people that, that live in Western societies, 
Uh, the doctors figured out what was going on and how she had caught it. But she was still much too unwell to go back to the, uh, to the people. And no other outsiders knew their language. So she was faced with the challenge, how do I let the people know that to save their lives, they need to, to cook their pork uh, thoroughly until, it's, until there's no pink left in it? Well, in the end, she was able, because she had taught a few young people to read, uh, to send a message that was, I believe, dropped from an airplane. Uh, and lives were saved. That's the sort of impact that it can make to be able to read. But again, learning to read is, is not easy. For one thing, there needs to be something to read so that you can practice. Uh, there's, there's lots of stuff to read in English. Uh, this is a library in, in Sydney, and it, it gives you an idea of you know, shells almost further than you can see. Uh, and even that is only a fraction of the huge amount that is available to read in, in English. Uh, you, can, you can practice uh, every day of your life and you won't read all of it. Um, but here on the other hand is the Literacy Library in Papua New Guinea, where they have collected everything that there is uh, to read for many of the languages in Papua New Guinea. In fact, each of the little wooden boxes on those shelves contains, to the best of our knowledge, everything that there is to read for an entire language. And you can see that most of them are, are fairly small, uh, probably fairly simple books. Uh, imagine sort of making that transition from your sort of first reader, you know. This is Jack, this is Jill. No, see Jill jump uh, to, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, was, was God. Uh, you know, it would be quite helpful to have some things of sort of intermediate difficulty to practice on as you, as you make that transition. Uh, in fact, um, people have estimated that it, it would be a very good thing to have at least a couple of hundred books to practice on. For people to make this transition from learning to read to reading to learn, which is where we want to get them to. And it gets even worse, by the way. Some of these boxes hold all the books from three languages. And it's not easy to change that. You know, missionaries have, have a lot to do. Uh, the, the state of that library really indicates that, that the missionaries we sent in from outside have not been able to produce 200 books for each language. You know, they're, they're busy translating the Bible, getting it published, uh, setting up basic literacy programs. Um, when they get through that, the government wants them to publish a dictionary. Uh, then the organization typically wants them to move on to supervise other projects and, and help. It's just, it's hard to find the time to do this. It's hard for someone from outside the community to just come up with a whole lot of different interesting things to read. And so we think that the solution is to have uh, local authors uh, learn how to produce their own books. Uh, these, these will be familiar stories, uh, very natural language, uh, topics that are interesting to the people. And what's especially good about it is that it's sustainable. 
Now, when the missionary has left, the local authors will still be there, and hopefully, once they learn, they can go on producing books. But again, the difficulty is that making a book is quite a hard thing to do. No, essentially, these days, to make a book, you, you have to get the information into a computer, because all the current technology for making books is, is built around computers. But making a, a book, and perhaps especially a children's book with illustrations, is difficult using computers. Um, you know, even for a, a PhD computer scientist, uh, getting a modern word processor to put a picture on the page in the place where you want it and, and keep it there uh, is the sort of thing that, that, that has one tempted to swear at the computer or the people who programmed it. Uh, and the screenshot there shows you a few of the, of the different tools that somebody might have to learn to actually get a word processor to produce a book. Uh, imagine then that you don't speak the, the language in which the word processor uh, has all of its commands and all of its helps, uh, and that you're using a computer for about the first time, and somebody tells you to write a book. Well, we've, we've run training programs to try and help people do this, uh, and it wasn't too unusual to find that, you know, even by the last day of the, of the training program, uh, nobody had actually managed to produce a book which was very frustrating for the trainers. And it happened in one of these workshops that by day four and a half, they, they decided that they would, they would try uh, a little program, at that time experimental, uh, that we'd been working on to, to try and make it easy to make books. Uh, it takes about 20 minutes of, of training to, to learn all that there is to know about using Bloom to make books. Uh, there are lots of illustrations already there that you can use. Uh, and the program has a few different page layouts. And once you put the picture, once you choose the page layout, the picture doesn't move. Uh, once you've inserted all the pages that you want, you can push one button and it will print them out in the right order. And you, uh, you fold the pages in half, staple them together, and you've got a book. Uh, if you want to have a play with this program, you can download it from bloomlibrary.org and even contribute some books. Uh, but in that last half day of this workshop, uh, the students produced an average of two books each using Bloom. Uh, and we've repeated that in other workshops. That in, a, in a very short time, people can uh, become uh, significantly productive and produce books in their own language. Uh, the Bloom Library also contains a collection of, of books that they can take and, and translate that contain useful uh, information, uh, medical information, agricultural information, Bible stories, uh, all kinds of things that can, be, um, can make it even less work if somebody knows a language of wider communication and can just not have to even come up with the pictures or the, or the information, but just translate it into their language. Uh, they can quickly produce uh, lots of useful books. And again, it's a, Bloom makes that process very easy. We, we show them each, each page and the information that should go on that page, and they just have to type it in. Bloom also supports making what we call talking books, uh, uh, 
adding audio recordings uh, in the appropriate language uh, so that the, you can put one of these books on a cell phone uh, and, and the book will read itself aloud. And as it does that, it highlights each sentence uh, so that the, the student can, can see uh, what the text looks like while somebody is, is, is telling them what it says. And that can be quite valuable practice for literacy as well as providing another way of getting at the information that is in these books. Uh, we also have tools on cell phones for recording scripture. And again, tools that are designed to be really easy for people with very limited computer skills. Uh, this one uh, handles recording scripture with, with three buttons. There's one that you push down while you record a sentence. There's one that you, that you tap to play that sentence back so you can see if you got it right. Uh, if you don't like it, you push the record button and try again. And if you're happy, you push the next button and move on to the next sentence. And that's about all it takes. But from that, uh, we have other software that will, that will generate uh, an app that you can put on your cell phone that contains the scriptures and the audio of those scriptures um, for a whole language that can then be uh, shared from, from one cell phone to the next or downloaded from, from a website. Uh, even in countries where missionaries are not welcome and Bibles would be difficult to import, uh, now get one copy into the country on a cell phone and uh, then just spread it around. So those are some of the things that, uh, that I've been involved in that uh, are helping to get God's word to every language and every people group that needs it. You are part of this too. Now, this command was given from the beginning. This prediction was given. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Are you keen to see Jesus come back? Well, one thing that might help is let's, let's see if we can fulfill this prophecy, make sure that the gospel of the kingdom has been preached to the, the whole world, all the peoples, all the languages that uh, Jesus has, has purchased people from who ought to be around his throne. And there are lots of ways that you can help. Uh, we need people to go. Uh, you know, not, not just people to go and live in a remote village and learn the language and, and do Bible translation. We certainly need lots of those still. Uh, but we also need uh, people that you would never think of as missionaries, computer programmers like me, um, pilots, mechanics, uh, school teachers, administrators, secretaries. Uh, if, you, if you have a skill, there's a pretty good chance that it could be used in the mission field. And maybe you should ask your que question. Now, has God called me to stay here? Or is he certainly called you to be part of getting the word of God to, to every people group. But if you think that God has called you to, to stay here, uh, then, then there are still ways that you can be involved in getting his word to the whole world. Uh, another one is to pray. This task is, is hard enough, but it's only going to get done uh, by the grace and with the help of God. And so we, uh, we covet your prayers. And if you'd like some more prayer information, we have some prayer cards out there, and we'd be glad to, uh, to 
send you our prayer information regularly. Or you can give. You know, so for people like me to be able to work at this full time, um, we're dependent on churches and friends that, that provide the finances to make that possible. And uh, you know, whether you get involved in our work or other missionaries that this church is already sending out, I would encourage you to, uh, to give what, what God enables you to give so that people can give their full time to getting God's word and the gospel to everyone. A few things quickly that you could pray for us. We have quite a busy fellow, lots of meetings like this and in smaller groups. Uh, we need God's endurance to live out of a suitcase for several months on end. Uh, we are looking for new prayer and financial partners to, uh, to support our ministry. Uh, we have a number of health problems. Uh, Sharon is taking this weekend off because she didn't feel quite well enough for the, all the traveling that I was, I was doing. and thought she should have some rest. But we would value prayer that she, God would just renew her health and energy. And pray that we will have success in encouraging people to get interested and involved in Bible translation. Thank you. You are a vital part of this ministry. Uh, churches like this, uh, Christians like you, as you pray for us and support us, are what makes it possible for us to, to do this work. And you are, you are part of the team that is getting God's word into, uh, into every language. But finally, remember, Jesus has purchased people from every language. They haven't all heard the message yet. So let's finish the job so we can all go home. Thank you, Graham.